Hello, friend. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Tully Show. I would like to briefly remind you, as is my want, that this show, The Tully Show, is a mere taste, a mere smidgen of my weekly solo podcasting output. The Motherload awaits you at patreon.com slash mytully. I am posting 750 podcasts every single week, a veritable plethora of podcasting delights awaits you exclusively at patreon.com slash mike tully patreon.com slash mike tully Coming to you live on tape from an above-ground basement in rapidly gentrifying Culver City adjacent California, boasting a partially obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, the author of a provocative new book about an utterly fascinating yet often overlooked facet of society entitled For a Dollar and a Dream, State Lotteries in Modern America. Hello and welcome, Jonathan Cohen. Hey, Mike. So nice to be here. Thank you for uh, being with me. How did you come to this subject? It's one of these great big hiding in plain sight sort of things. It seems simultaneously like a totally obvious thing that tons of people would have already written a bunch of books about and also something that it never would have in a million years occurred to me to write a book about. Right, because the people who who, who write books don't play the lottery. You know, there's an old joke, uh, gamblers don't read and readers don't gamble. Oh, I see. Uh, right. So, yeah. Um, I, this, I mean, it started as a doctoral dissertation mm-hmm. uh, with, and really, I mean, I'm a child of the Great Recession um, and sort of went into graduate school, not interested in the lottery. You know, I don't, I don't have any lottery winners. I don't have any problem gamblers in my family. I went into the to graduate school interested in economic inequality and an economic opportunity writ large and sort of stumbled into lottery winners as an example uh, not just of economic opportunity, but even more specifically, this weird phenomenon that you might be familiar with of folks whose whose class status and economic status doesn't line up. You know, like the barista who has a master's degree and is therefore assumed to be part of the intelligentsia and the elite, or the blue collar plumber who makes $150,000 a year, but is still sort of coded as working class because of their job. And lottery winners seem like an example of people for whom class status and and economic status are are totally misaligned. Oh, wow. That's interesting because what is the the saying? Uh, I think I've seen it attributed to Joe Rogan. I don't think he came up with it, though, that what America has a class problem disguised as a race problem. Mm. Where we don't, right? right, Where, where that would be analog to this, yes, right. Whereas um, the UK, for example, probably does have racial issues, but thinks of one of its central issues as class 
and we have a right. big class issue and we are obsessed with the race and 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 the you know the the reality obviously is that we have an issue with both right to me it's the food truck thing it's the the person who gets their master's degree just so that they can reinvent tacos <laughs> right. <laughs> we, they need to be reinvented for a seventh time desperately. Yeah, I know that yeah. Yeah, Korean tacos are so two years ago. That's right. exactly right. right. So, but, but, so all this to say is lottery winners are an example of this phenomenon and then eventually sort of became, rather than an example of this other thing, they became the thing unto itself. And then lotteries became the thing unto itself once I sort of realized that no one had written a real comprehensive study of this in the last 30 years. Which is, which is wild because it is... It is, we, I mean, I don't, what's your personal relationship to the, how often would you play? Like for me, I, I still have an aunt, Aunt Franny still sends, sent me scratch off tickets when I was a kid. And now she sends yeah. my kids scratch off tickets. That's about Good luck, Aunt Franny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, far, hey, we win five yeah. bucks from time to time. I think if you added it up, we might be doing a little better than you realize, John. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, I must've bought a ticket when I turned 18 or something, but I definitely don't, don't play regularly. Um, and I sort of started playing almost by accident when I started working on this book in part because I would go, I went to 17 states in the course of my research and I bought a ticket in every state I went to. And I'm the only person probably who read the fine print on the back of every state uh, ticket to compare, Oh, what's the cashing period in Connecticut versus uh, Georgia? You know, I've got to, got to write that down. You know, I don't think anyone else in the, in the world would, would bother to, to read something like that. No, I, I, I respect your deranged stick to <laughs> in that regard. There's uh there's two stories to be told in this book and the first you cover rather briefly, but I mean, there, there might well be a book in and of itself in the, the history of lotteries. I'm fascinated by the things that every human society comes up with all by themselves and pre-contact times, everybody's got marriage, everybody's got art, everybody's got some sort of, you know, one of three or four forms of political structure. And to that list, it seems we can add lotteries. Lotteries just seem to spring up naturally in human society. Yeah. And and, and, I'll, and I'll even say gambling writ large and then sure. lotteries in particular, some, some as forms of entertainment and some, and we get into this as more sort of serious uh, mechanisms of ordering society and finding meaning out of chaos uh, for, especially for societies that didn't have mathematical understandings of probability. Okay. Well, that would be getting ahead of things a little bit, but I, I, I can't, <laughs> that's such a big thing to just go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, Every, yeah, just, ev just, yeah. Everybody knows what you're talking about there. Okay. What are you talking about when you say that? So, I mean, the, some of the earliest references, dated references that we have to lotteries are, are in, the Bible, for example, where they're used to uh, design uh, land allocations to select kings. Uh, Cast, where... Casting lots is... Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. But, but the assumption here is that, again, there's not an understanding of prob probability. So the assumption here is that God is sort of working through the randomness oh. of the lottery and that it's sort of the, there's a guiding hand. Uh, one that I think actually parallels the way of a lot of American religious lottery players view the lottery, but that's a whole other category where they think, you know, God is going to give them their money and reward them through the lottery. But that is, again, for a society without understandings of of probability, the 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 role of them is to sort of intuit for non-profitous figures and sometimes for, for, for profits themselves uh, to try to get to 
to try to discern God's will uh, when it is obviously so often so difficult to discern. I see. So that is, uh, I associate that with uh, the Protestantism in its more modern form, the, the, the predestination. If God really likes you, he's not going to wait to heaven to tell you that he's yeah. going to hook you yeah. up here and now. Right. Or if you want to be the lucky recipient of Jesus's clothes after the crucifixion, then your name is going to get drawn in the lottery, which is exactly what happens in the New Testament. Oh my goodness, that's exactly right. That's right. His his only possessions were that's distributed by lottery. And there's no gambling prohibition in the Bible of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um and then lotteries sort of make a lot of appearances in, in many, many types of books. And this is all a precursor for their use in the in Roman Empire, some sources say in the Chinese Empire, uh, uh, and then for, for hundreds and thousands of years uh, to the modern day. This, I, I'm not sure if you covered this in the book. I was introduced to your book through the uh, article on it in The New Yorker. It said in 16th century uh, England, Winning the lottery could be, among other things, a literal get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, I learned that for the first time. It's always great <laughs> to learn new things about your own subject that you've spent seven years working on when someone else writes about your topic. That's always a great feeling. How do they do that? I swear, I always wonder, because no matter what obscure subject someone's written a book on, someone there's writing a, 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 a not-quite-feature-length, but an, a, an extended book review, where the, all of a sudden they're the world's greatest expert on this That's why. She, that's why she's Catherine Schultz and I'm John Cohen. You know, then, like, good for her. And she, I'll take that review any day of the week, but she found it somewhere, and I... You know, it's amazing. It is amazing. And moving a little bit forward in history and a little bit closer to home, lotteries are inextricably tied up in America's history. Colonial, the Revolutionary War was to some real extent funded by lotteries. These have been a money making thing uh, uh, everywhere all the time. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, for a society that defines itself by its aversion to taxation, but but government needs to raise money somehow. They got to pay for roads. They got to pay in the Revolutionary War for an army, mm-hmm. where there's sort of nowhere else to turn uh, other than other than sort of creative me- mechanisms like lotteries, which you know everyone knows about. They've been around for hundreds of years. It's just a matter of putting their use uh, for for public good. Right. It's fairly straightforward. Nobody. Um, it's a. Every politician would rather run on a plank of not raising taxes or lowering taxes, but nobody wants to run on a plank of, I'm going to eliminate all of your services. So right. you enter something. Where, where do you come down? And this is, again, getting ahead of, thing, ahead of things, but the case can and often has been made that... Uh, Rather than just taxing people across the board, uh, you know, in a flat way or as a sales tax, people who want to participate in the lottery feel like they're getting something out of that. People who don't want to don't have to do it, and it raises money for the common wheel. On its face, that's a very compelling argument for lotteries. I agree. I think, and this Thomas Jefferson, it's attributed to him, it's attributed to Voltaire, sort of calling it a, a voluntary form of taxation, right. sort of the, 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 the key selling point. I think that's true to an extent. And, and as much as something like buying cigarettes or buying alcohol these days, because there's a tax on them, those are also voluntary forms of taxation. No one's forcing you to buy cigarettes, no one's forcing you to, to buy alcohol. And yet those are raised money for government. Not that anyone's buying cigarettes because of their generosity to the state. Speak for yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but the but lottery tickets, 
so they are, I, I think at some point they passed a point of no return where they sort of lost this luster where there's so much advertising and the games are so well designed and they are specifically designed in a way to so, not, not trick, but sort of to prey on human nature and instinct uh, in a way that they've sort of lost that voluntary label. I think to my mind, um, obviously no one's like literally forcing you to put your money I- into, into lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are even what we would, what we just engaged in talking about the long history of lotteries they are thousands of years old, blah, blah, blah. That sort of implies an inevitability. Oh, humans are always going to gamble. Oh, everyone is always going to play lotteries, right. but it's not inevitable that we have a $91.4 billion a year industry. That's the human will to gamble alone does not create a, a game of that magnitude. That is only done through through private companies and through state lottery administrators who are really pushing, pushing, pushing the games in a way that, again, it is voluntary. You're right. But I think there are a lot of social conditions and then game design factors that I would I would qualify that at the at the very least and, and ask how voluntary some of these things really are for some people. Right. Like, yeah, looking at whatever you're <clears throat> doom scroll of choices on your phone is is also voluntary but right. it, it would be unseemly i think we can all agree for the government to make some totally killer app that you had to spend five bucks a day to use that as much as you said boy i gotta stop doing this you still found right. yourself paying the five bucks right. every day right but i think that's a great example because we all know <laughs> that scrolling on various apps is voluntary and yet yeah. it feels when you're doing it not voluntary it right. feels like almost compulsive or addictive or hard to stop at the very least you touched on the magnitude uh, yeah. uh of, of the size of the games i was surprised to learn i'm quoting your book <clears throat> americans spend more on lottery tickets annually than on video streaming services netflix amazon etc concert tickets books and movie tickets combined. Like th- again, because the sort of people who listen to boring, nerdy podcasts like this aren't the sort of people who are, you know, sometimes when you're there buying a bag of chips or a six pack, you see the guy who's like, wow, is that guy really spending like 60 bucks on pick six right now? Yeah. But it's not in our, it's not in our living room. This is a, this is a gigantic industry that is skewed towards the people who can least afford to blow money on it right and one in eight americans just for reference buy a lottery ticket at least once a week and then uh as much as 70 or 80 percent of lottery sales come from the top 20 to 30 percent of lottery players who as you alluded to are disproportionately poorer uh non-white and less educated uh relative to to sort of the average american population and I'll just to to the to the reference point to the comparison on concert tickets video streaming services it's a little bit misleading because you get on average, it depends on the state, 50 to 60% of your money back, right? When you buy the lottery, when you buy a lottery ticket. So imagine you go to a concert and then you come home and you get 60% of your money back that you spent on tickets back into your wallet. Because when you buy a lottery ticket, you buy $20, but you're on average going to win $14. And then you put that $14 back in, you win 10. So all of a sudden you spent $34 on lottery tickets when you really only started with 20. Let me ask you something. How does that, because your book opens with a, a, a brief character sketch of somebody who seems like a more or less a, a, a typical lotto player. Right. When you're talking about scratch off tickets, yep. you know, the kids win just enough to make it fun for them. And I think like most families, my family has the story of the relative passed away and, and 
more meager times. How are we going to pay for the headstone? And that's exactly when aunt so-and-so won $5,000 on a scratch off. And that's how grandma has a, a grave. So it, Right, you're obviously they wouldn't be doing the lottery if they were losing money, but you do make money back on the scratch offs. The guy that you talk about in the beginning of the book did have that one hundred thousand dollar win, and yet he knows he's still losing overall. So it sounds like you're implying about 60, 70 percent of the money that you spend on a scratch off, you'll probably get back in winnings if on you, average. And then that's for all games, not just scratch. Okay, that's that, every lottery dollar. You're answering yeah. my question. So people who do play the pick six and the whatever, they do win often enough that they really do over the lifetime of their gaming make 60 or 70 percent back. I mean, as we all know, on average, sure. And yeah. you, you got to wonder if that one person in Sacramento wasn't me uh, who won the two point four billion dollar jackpot uh, a couple weeks ago. If how much that skews the average for everybody else because oh, the prize okay. is is so gigantic, right? And this is you know nice emblem uh, uh, case study of American culture, sort of that we have these giant prizes that go to one or two individuals rather than sort of split among a, a larger pool of people. Um, right. So I don't know exactly how that math shakes out but certainly on average folks can ex expect they're going to get some share of their money back if they really just lost all the time and never even had any small wins folks would give up that's right that's right but <clears throat> but yeah but they, there isn't the one billion dollar powerball equivalent of a scratch off ticket so there probably are more people who don't see that 60 percent. if you're talking right, about that right playing playing your numbers there is a new uh, in Texas, one hundred dollar scratch ticket yep. with a top top prize of 20 million but it's sort of it's sort of designed to be like a, a somewhat lower odds of Powerball, but it's still sort of trying to capture that same phenomenon and that feeling of long odds, big prize. Again, the odds aren't that long, but like, I don't know. I don't know how many, I don't know if you can, you would be able to tell the difference between one in 4 million and one in 300 million odds of winning. It just already feels so infinitesimally small that it's just might as well throw up your hands and, and hope uh, against all hope that you're going to win. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, but those do sort of play a role when you I don't know when you have like the 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 Secret Santa thing and you and you gotta all of a sudden come up with fifty bucks to just throw in the whatever those fifty dollars scratch off tickets actually are kind of candy, kind of handy even if you know nobody's gonna win anything. Um, it was not it was not a part of my family growing up sure, to buy yeah. them in the holidays, but yeah. I, but that's honestly talking to just speaking of the podcasting class versus the lottery yeah. playing class i got a lot of folks who say oh i never played the lottery but my family bought some scratch tickets over the holidays and i'm like that's lottery playing you you guys were lottery players you are some of the 50 percent of americans who buy a lottery ticket once a year but yeah. they for some reason code scratch tickets and they code gifts at the holidays as something different than what the people they see in the corner store doing when they're buying daily numbers or they're buying powerball tickets. the amazing sort of hoops people will jump through and their sense of self and their sense of, of others, exactly. right? So as we all know, the lottery is quite literally uh, state run gambling. And the fact of the matter of how we got to where we are with lottery in our society, uh, some, some would argue perhaps persuasively that the state's hand was forced into uh, gambling because in its absence, um, uh, illegal games were bound to flourish. How much water does that hold with you? I certainly, I whenever I read a story of somebody growing up in Brooklyn in the 1930s, there was always the numbers runners, and I've never right. personally run into a numbers runner. So this has to have taken a little bit of uh, uh, cash flow away from organized crime. No, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's... 
it, it's actually astounding for folks, well, first of all, who aren't sort of these old timey Brooklynites from the 1930s. <laughs> and then and for folks who don't know about the history of gambling, but in the starting in around 1924 in Harlem and then up until the mid 1970s, maybe later in especially in black and Latino communities, but not only also white working class communities uh, in urban and Rust Belt cities and elsewhere, the numbers games, illegal daily lotteries were just absolutely everywhere. Mm -hmm. And there were people, there were huge sources of employment, especially for young African-American men who for various reasons at the time were sort of excluded from the traditional economy and everyone was playing and to your point, some of the money in some cities, organized crime really sort of muscled in and, and took some of it for themselves. In others, it really remained in the community. And I, I think folks paint a little too much of an idealized portrait of these because these are probably a lot of compulsive people and a lot of poor people playing a lot of money that they couldn't afford, just like today. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the profiteers, uh, many of whom were also African-American, kept a lot of the money in the community and would invest it uh, in, in places like Detroit. So... The, the lottery, as you said, I don't I wouldn't say that states hands were forced, but it was definitely a, a big part of the story in the 60s and 70s that says, oh, if all this gambling is already happening, if all these poor people are already playing the lottery, the state might as well legalize the games so that we make the money for ourselves. Uh, for that, for, for what it's worth, people in these communities and, and my chapter on this period is, is about New Jersey, the black community in Newark is all in favor of the lottery and vote for it even more overwhelmingly than white suburbanites because basically the before the war on drugs the police used numbers to harass black people and are sort of arbitrarily arrest them and they hoped that a state lottery would sort of become a community institution uh it did not but that was with their hope um and that's sort of why we get this weird coalition of white suburbanites who hate all this illegal gambling happening in the city with these illegal gamblers who also want a lottery but for very different reasons, and it doesn't work out for either of them the way that they planned. Uh, anyone who's you know been to a convenience store, you've been to them in at least seventeen different states, uh, right. knows this uh, signature style of um, particularly scratch off lottery tickets. I think, like most people, I have hazily assumed that the silly gimmicks and names and the literal printing of the cards itself was something that states themselves individually were handling. That couldn't be further from the truth. One of the revelations of this story for me was um, I, I was not prior, I didn't have any prior knowledge of this company that operates a, effectively a great big monopoly called scientific games and they're still going i went to their website before i spoke to you the homepage shows a whole bunch of uh, recent college grads throwing their caps in uh in the air so that's what it's all about at the end of the day for scientific games is getting money for kids to go to college is that about right yeah, that's exactly what they care about most. The lottery ticket manufacturer, all they care about just from their altruistic heart is sending kids to college. Um, so the history here is, is Scientific Games is the creator of Scratch Tickets, which go on sale for the first time in Massachusetts in 1974. And uh, what you're alluding to is sort of once the, the market sort of caps out, once no more states are adding lotteries uh, in the late 70s, they basically, to, to your point earlier, they go around and they force states' hands. Uh, into passing lotteries, largely through the initiative process. And this would be familiar, you're in California, mm -hmm. to anyone who voted uh, last week or, or two weeks ago on the sports gambling initiative um, that was on the ballot in California that a lot of people saw as being the work of 
self-interested companies trying to increase their market share and bring gambling to California for the first for the sports gambling to California for the first time. Scientific Games basically did that before was cool and did it really effectively in California and or in Arizona and Oregon, Missouri, Iowa, Colorado, Washington, D.C., and that what that is what after a quick lull sort of restarts the spread of lotteries uh, across the country and make basically makes folks in other states realize oh lottery's going to come eventually we might as well legalize it but it was only going to come eventually because scientific games made it seem like it would and because they wanted not to send kids to college they wanted to sell this image that a lottery ticket was the equivalent of helping education at least in some states um and that therefore we should all enact lotteries and we should all start with scratch tickets uh because that's the, the greatest way to help our kids that we could possibly imagine right and that is the tipping point for lots and lots of people some people don't aren't morally outraged by the government being involved with gambling or the existence of gambling itself but for those who are something that will sway them or soften the blow is that Again, one of these things that we all kind of know and we just go along with and take for granted because it's the way it's always been. The lottery is always pitched at, as you put it, it's like some uh, some cause that the government works towards that has wide bipartisan support. Education is the most obvious one. And once again, on its face, nobody, even people who bother to uh, vote in initiatives like that are probably going to give it more than a couple moments thought. Okay, extra money for schools. And I don't have to play if I don't want to, and it's going to happen anyway. Can you talk about the ways in which you can start a lottery and make a bunch of money for schools, and yet schools don't actually end up with any extra money? Yeah, so so the, 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 the best example of this phenomenon, and this has happened in New York, and then in Florida, Virginia, Illinois, California, and other states, is that what lottery money... Uh, goes into the education fund, but for every lottery dollar that goes into education, one dollar of standard appropriation comes out. Right. So it ends up supplanting rather mm -hmm. than supplementing the money for schools. It doesn't actually add anything to the pot, uh, which is just a total scam. So you're effectively just putting it into the general fund for legislators to use however they want. Lots of great programs come out of the general fund, but it's 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 misleading to market it as, oh, this is helping education and education only. The argument, it occurred to me in, in preparing to speak to you that, uh, you know, sometimes the conversation has sort of gained a little bit of steam outside of completely insane and out of touch people that uh, legalizing drugs or some drugs, you know, might be a worthwhile pursuit for society and for the government. And it strikes me that the argument for legalizing, legitimizing the lottery through the government you know, several decades ago is essentially, it really is the same argument as the argument for legalizing drugs. And I was wondering what insight um, researching this book might have lent you into the, the drug legalization argument. You take the collateral crime out of right. it, be it running numbers or be it, you know, drug dealers on the streets uh, instead of enriching people who might be nice guys, but might be evil drug lords. You put the money, if not directly into the schools, at least into public works. One of the central sticking points of the legalizing drug argument is how many people, if any, will start doing drugs that wouldn't have otherwise if you yeah. legitimize and legalize them. So I guess my question here is how many people who never ever would have done illegal lotteries embrace legal lotteries? 
I think that's exactly that's exactly right. And the, the the there are a lot of parallels that we don't have to get into. You know, the phenomenon of once one state legalizes a lottery or legalizes marijuana, is the neighboring state sort of more likely to because everyone's already going to buy weed or buy lottery tickets across the border. So that state might as well make money for itself. That's right. A lot of parallels about the ways um, numbers runners, illegal numbers runners were shut out of the illegal lottery economy in the same way that former illegal drug dealers are now being shut out of the legal marijuana economy. Um, and, but I, I think um, to your point, the, the parallel um, comes in with these, this rhetoric uh, around a victimless crime uh, that as, as being as facilitating um, the, the legalization, but then also this logic that, Oh, the only people who are going to buy the legal product are those who are already buying illegally. And, and with lotteries, that just proves to be completely not the case. And mm-hmm. I talked to all these people who were children, you know, when lotteries was enacted in their state and then through advertising or through hopes for the American dream, which we can talk about that the lotteries provide or through you, you some other some other social cultural factor, they became lottery players and they would never have been had it not been for the state involvement. So that's. You lose me on that argument. I think there's a lot of great arguments to make for lotteries, a lot of great arguments to make for legalizing drugs, uh, but that one uh, is sort of sort of falls short. Yeah, yeah, and I, I and I can see it as someone. I, I I smoked marijuana when it was illegal, and I no longer partake now that it that it is. But you, you just always want to be against the grain, you know. If it's legal, then it's not cool. You know. I, yeah, I, I I like drugs. Drugs just don't like me. So, uh, <laughs> but I was literally at a dispensary last night for my. For my wife, uh, you know, she likes to take a little edible sometimes when she's going to bed. And you can just say I was standing next to this middle aged, you know, I don't want to describe in a derogatory sort of way, but it wasn't the kind of person I used to run into on street corners when I was buying dime bags. And there's just no way around it. And in the case of weed, I think there are negatives, but I think the positives to me seem to outweigh the negatives. But if we're going to ramp that up to uh, hardcore opiates, uh, I hate to be a buzzkill, but I might vote against that. Yeah, but but I think that that's it's the right it's the right parallel. And you know, by the logic of oh, if it's going to happen, then the state should. If it's going to happen anyway, then the state should get in on the cut. Then there's very little case we make against legalizing sex work or right. harder drugs. Which again, I'm not necessarily against, but that's sort of where that argument leads. And I think the folks who advocate for it aren't always comfortable with sort of the, the logical extensions um, of where that would go. That's right. That's right. Um, returning again to the gentleman, do you remember his name? The, well, of course you do at the start of your book. Leo McCord. Is yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it struck me. Uh, well, okay. Let me, let me, before we talk about his specific example, um, I wonder what attitude you may have held going into the book and what attitude you'd now hold in regard to the the concept of a lottery as um, a quote-unquote idiot tax. If people are dumb enough to do it, what personal responsibility do you think we have to save people from themselves? It's not the money that somebody does really win. So if they are either, um, if they're addicted to this unlikely dream and either can't or won't face the reality that they're almost certainly never going to get the hundred million dollars, who are we to stop them? Yeah. I, so I definitely went into into the story Again, not having played the lottery much as a kid, not knowing much about them, not also not having any axe to grind and not really having a sort of preconceived notion, yeah. but sort of assuming one of the things I did know was this is a stupid tax, a tax on people who are bad at math, 
uh, a poor tax sort of is are probably the, the the phrases folks have heard. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty quickly disillusioned of that, uh, both from from talking to lottery players uh, and we can come back to Leo McCord, who I think yeah. is a great example of this. Uh, and then also sort of even just thinking through the broader context of when and how lotteries became popular and sort of lining up the rise of lotteries with the decline in the economy and stagnation in rates of social mobility. And again, that lottery playing is not inevitable. And that if we still provided sort of reliable paths to the American dream, and if Mm -hmm. our expectations for wealth were still sort of normal, rather than expecting that being rich means becoming a billionaire, then maybe not as many folks would be interested in playing the lottery. And I don't think it's inevitable. I don't think it's, I don't think these people are any worse at math than you or I, you know, my, my wife's great at math. She's a doctor, but like I, my problem, my sense of probability isn't that great either. Uh, and I, and I, and I will just end with my big takeaway, especially was that these quote unquote idiots who are irrational and wishful and don't understand probability who are buying lottery tickets. I see a lot of the same thinking among the legislators and voters who pass lotteries, who have these wishful, hopeful, irrational beliefs that a lottery is going to solve all their state's financial problems. So if the people who are buying lottery tickets are idiots, then unfortunately, so too are the lawmakers who pass lotteries in the first place. Um, and that's sort of totally changed my view um, on whether whether it's okay to call it a stupid tax, which whatever, it's a funny joke, but I just don't think it's accurate. Yeah, it's it's just, it, it's, it's, it's cynical. It's is, is what it is at the very least. Let me ask you something. Um, what about other countries? Do countries that have very, very strong social safety nets uh, have lotteries? And what role do the lotteries play in, in, in those societies? Do you know? Is it yeah. different? Yeah, I think it's there's many countries where it's sort of pretty similar. You know, mm-hmm. in countries like China, they sort of have two lotteries. One is sort of similar to what we have, and one is like effectively sports gambling, but they call it for some reason a lottery, and there's some chance element tied up to it. I think maybe the best example um, is the Powerball or Mega Millions equivalent in countries like Spain and Italy, which have sort of similarly giant jackpots, but rather than like one or three people winning, it would be like 2000 people winning and they win like $14 million each or something, which again, I think is a a nice, nice metaphor for this sort of individualistic American culture where like one person is going to win 2.4 billion versus in Spain, where that prize is going to be sort of distributed among among a larger group of people. I'm not trying to make any judgments about like whether that's good or whether, you know, make any, make, make any comments about it. I just think it is indicative um, of how we've sort of come to approach wealth uh, as being a the sort of ultimate barometer for the good life uh, in this country. And now we need a billion dollars, apparently, to get there. Yeah, I know. I just woke up one day and all of a sudden every uh, public works thing that I read about, every arena that was being built, everything, I felt like one day everything was started with an M and then the next day everything started with a B. And Yeah, and, and yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that in 2016 Powerball hit a billion dollars for the first time. So right. I don't know when exactly that B to M yeah. or M to B switch happened. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I think that it's not a coincidence that our jackpots have gotten bigger uh, accordingly. So you say in the book, lottery players making more than $50,000 per year spend on average 1% of their annual income on lottery tickets. This seems like the kind of person who likes a little action and buys a ticket every Saturday and maybe get some extra stuff around the holidays. Whereas people making less than $30,000 per year who play the lottery spend 13%. So it obviously 
plays a different role in, I mean, 13% of a smaller number is right. 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 Comes up on 1% of a bigger number, obviously. But I think my attitude toward this evolved pretty instantly in the case of this Leo guy, you start the book with, I've been sort of struggling as somebody who's very, very poor with numbers and my financial situation would, would bear that out. Um, (laughs) When the best, if you actually sit down as a completely rational actor and you say, I project that I can put away $10 per working day, you know, 50 bucks per week for the next 30 years. And that's just all I'm going to be able to do. I added it up. That's twenty five. That's $2,500 per year. Over the course of a 30-year career, you would have put $75,000 into a 401k. So I think it's a valid question. What's better? to spend $10 a day playing the lotto or to have the sure thing of 75 K with compounding interest. And I don't know the answer, but I suspect lottery is not a crazy answer in that regard. Plus you get the additional element of, uh, the jackpot hope that a $75,000 retirement fund can't possibly offer. Yeah. Yeah. So the entertainment and especially for folks who don't play the lottery, I think it's it's very hard to imagine this. But the entertainment factor right. that people like Liam McCord get from playing the lottery every day. Yeah. Days, yeah. From the few hours, few minutes while you're waiting, even if right before you scratch your ticket. I don't think you can underrate that. And I think a lot of what's going on here um, is folks. Maybe maybe if I even sat him down, he could do the math and get me get to that seventy five thousand dollars and he would sort of realize what was what was happening. But for people who who perceive themselves as having no chance at a at a better life at a at a new life at something completely different from what they have now that's what they're playing for and even if it takes you know money out of their future selves pockets or their current selves pockets that's that's what they're after and if they see no hope for that elsewhere in the economy that's what they're playing for and whether they should be playing $5 a week rather than 50 we can we can talk about that um, but that's that's sort of why uh, why we see such consistent play among these sort of populations that we mentioned earlier. So finally, knowing now what you didn't know going into this, in a, in a perfect world, what form should lotteries take in America if they should exist at all? Yeah, so I, I think they probably shouldn't exist. Uh, and I, I say that knowing that if they were to disappear illegal games would or not illegal but other lottery games would immediately rise up to take their place i think no illegal game or no game without state or state or corporate sanction could ever approach being a 91.4 billion dollar a year industry so sort of automatically yeah that'd be a hell of a numbers racket yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um and once you take the state out of it you sort of automatically reduce the harm that it does to a lot of families i'm not realistic about that um as i've as i've said uh, no state has gotten liter- gotten rid of a lottery since the 1890s, so I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But there are certainly, just thinking perfect world, blue sky, levers that states can pull now that would make lotteries less harmful. You mm-hmm. know, like Texas has that $100 scratch ticket. How about you just get rid of it? You don't have any scratch ticket more than 20 bucks, mm-hmm. 10 bucks, for example. Um, prize caps, uh, you know, lot, the lotto, the Powerball, the Mega Millions jackpot can't go above 500 million, can't go above 450 million, whatever, pick a number. Um, advertising restrictions, uh, this is mentioned in the New Yorker piece, but lotteries are exempt 
from Federal Trade Commission truth and advertising laws because they're state agencies. So closing that loophole uh, would be super nice. In what ways do they abuse their ability to not be governed in in that way i'm trying to think of i've seen a million all you need is a dollar in a dream ad yeah. and i don't think that they're implying that i have any real chance of winning just boy it would yeah. be sweet if i did yeah so they used to be a lot more pernicious than they are i would say uh in two big ways first is if you ever listen to the radio station if anyone listens to radio anymore you know at the end of a sweepstakes announcement or a raffle announcement they have that little that long disclaimer of oh like and lotteries don't have to do anything like that so that that would be for uh, one helpful portion. The second is in the financial services industry. So like E-Trade or one of these old sort of Charles Schwab, one of these firms, they can't, there are restrictions that they are not allowed to sort of directly promise wealth. It's sort of implied in a lot of their advertisements, but they aren't allowed to say like, hey, put your money with us and we'll make you a billionaire within five years. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's always this, uh, yeah, this live live the life you've imagined exactly. so, sort of Like, oh, oh, do you want to sit in first class on the airplane rather than in coach, invest your money with Schwab, which is sort of getting at it, but not really. So yeah, you're, 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 you're in a better place, but it's they don't really put too fine a point on it. I, I'd never thought exactly. of that. You're right. Exactly. And so that's the kind of things that lottery can lotteries can do. They actually don't do it anymore. Lottery advertising is very tame nowadays compared to what it used to be in the 80s and 90s when it really was like, in your face like hey do you want a jackpot like put your money on the power you know they've sort of calmed that down because people got sick of it um, but those are the kinds of things lottery still can do if they want that uh, ftc loophole uh closing that loophole would, would prevent i see are any of these things going to happen the things you're proposing um no well hopefully yeah. um i would say all of them have precedent so I, i'm not like making any of these up okay. until the late 80s there were prize caps on on rollover prizes and many states texas and minnesota still have them on the books do have restrictions um, on advertising content and focus so i'm not like these are pie in the sky ideas but they're not like totally out of the realm of possibility yeah i don't i think if any state uh woke up to sort of the the harm to the common good that is being caused by the lotteries, any of these could could get pushed through in a realistic in a realistic way. So you've been working on this book in some form or another for say seven years, and it came out right. it came out last month. First of all, I just keep on enjoying the victory lap for as long as you can possibly milk it, because I know how many quiet hours go go into this sort of thing. Uh, what do you like? How do you fill the hole in your life that used to be filled by getting scratch off lottery tickets? Now, well, I have a ten month old. Uh, oh. So he, as both a financial and a time drain, he uh, really, really fills that hole uh, uh, really well. And frankly, there's been enough the, the, that last month's or earlier this month's Powerball jackpot has sort of helped create enough organic buzz that I haven't even had time to sort of really think about any a big follow up project yeah. at the scale of this one, just because I've been chatting with folks like you and, and answering reporters questions because everyone all of a sudden is curious about this social phenomenon that, as you said, at the out outset has been overlooked for a long time. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it is, it is fascinating and uh, yeah, it's a book that was, uh, that was long overdue and I appreciate you spending some time talking to us about it. It's called for a dollar and a dream state lotteries in modern America. Thank you so much, Jonathan Cohen. Thanks Mike. Good luck. Good luck. 